everyone, and welcome back to The V Word. This is Dr. Jen. This week, we wanted to talk to you about what is going on in the world and challenge you to think about it from a reproductive justice framework. Not sure what that is? Do not worry. Our friend, Dr. Jamila Parrott, is here with us to share the central tenets and talk about how educating yourself about this movement and framework is crucial to understanding how every aspect of what is happening right now, including a global pandemic, racism, and police brutality, it's all connected as part of a cohesive public health and human rights issue. Dr. Parrott is a fellowship-trained, board-certified OBGYN with a comprehensive background in family planning and reproductive health. She provides on-the-ground, community-based care that focuses primarily on that intersection between sexual health, reproductive rights, and social justice. You can follow her on Twitter at at ReproRightsDoc, and you absolutely should do that right now. Here's Dr. Parrott. So reproductive justice is actually a theory and a framework right, that was created in 1994 by 12 Black women who were at the time uh, talking about the context of their lived experience. In the, in the 90s, this was a time of the first iteration of health reform in the country. And what they found is the policies and the legislation that were being put forth really didn't uh, include or even consider the context of, of their lives as Black women in the United States who are traditionally left out of conversations about reproductive health uh, and often have difficulty accessing uh, reproductive health services. And so not wanting to use the language of choice, um, which was the predominant language in the reproductive rights movement at the time, instead what they did was that they combined human rights, social justice, and reproductive rights to form a new phrase that they called reproductive justice. And the intent behind the reproductive justice framework is to do several things, right? One, um, to really declare that uh, it is every person's human right to decide when or if they have children in the context under which they give birth. Right. Is every person's human right to determine if they will not have children and to have the information um, and resources they need to prevent or end the pregnancy. It is every person's human right to parent the children we already have in communities that are safe and sustainable and free from violence from the individual or the government. And it is every person's human right to bodily autonomy. Right. So understanding that these are grounded in the human rights framework. And there also rests, right, this theory rests on centuries of Black feminist thought, understanding that there's, there is a unique and specific experience for Black women uh, being those who experience racialized oppression and gender depression, right, um, that requires a different set of circumstances to achieve reproductive freedom. Now, while the framework was created by Black women and developed by Black women and named by Black women, it also goes on to acknowledge that all of us have these unique experiences, right, that then translate into um, our experiences in the rest of the world. And those experiences and those oppressions specifically impact our ability to control our reproductive freedom. The important thing, though, to to understand about the reproductive rights framework, one of the important things is that it was never designed to be a healthcare delivery framework, right? This is about public policy change. This is about grassroots mobilization. But the reality for me as an OBGYN, once I discovered this framework, it became very clear to me that we had no chance at 
um, moving the needle at all in health inequities if we didn't understand and embrace and operationalize this framework in the healthcare delivery space, right? Because what it does is it centers the lived experiences of communities that are historically marginalized in the care that they receive. It provides the context for the care that we are charged as physicians with providing. It's, I mean, like you said it yourself, this is not new, right? I mean, communities, specifically the Black community has known this forever, but why are we just now paying attention? Like why are health organizations? I think it's a difficult, a difficult sort of thing to, to, to point to one thing to say that this is the reason why. I think it's a number of things. One, there are lots of reproductive justice organizations that have been doing this work um, on the ground in legislation and policy in their communities, right, for many, many years. And so the fact that we're hearing more about it is a direct result of action from folks who have been doing this work, right? And then you have people like me who found out about the theory and the framework later in the career, right, after I had finished uh, med school, after I had finished residency, after I had finished my fellowship, right, um, who saw the importance of that connection. Now, for me, um, the, the learning about the justice framework was really critical in terms of shaping my career because justice work is what I have always done professionally, but I never had a name for it. I didn't know that there was a, a way to describe what it means to be a healthcare provider who is grounded in community care right, who understands the complicated lives of our of the people that we care for, and then understands that historical influence, right, uh, in the way folks make decisions at a community level. And so, um, you know, for those of us who have been doing justice work, having that name uh, was really critical. Certainly it was for me. Um, the popularization of the, the use of the word, I think that there, there are lots of folks who, um, are interested in reproductive justice and who are talking about reproductive justice, but don't necessarily have a clear understanding of what it is. And often the reproductive justice um, phrase, the term, the framework is confused or conflated with reproductive rights. Um, and so it's important to understand we're talking about human rights, we're talking about social justice, and we're talking about reproductive health and, and rights, um, but these are not the same things. Um, it's hard to say, though, clearly there's one specific reason why we're hearing more about it, um, but the work of activists and advocates on the ground is a huge part of that. And I think it's important to, to really acknowledge that racial justice has always been an underlying principle in reproductive justice, as has um, an understanding of the impact of violence at the hands of the state against our community, right? So all of these things are part and parcel of reproductive justice. But when we think about it in, in its totality, it understands that those things are connected, right? And so we're definitely hearing about it more now in the way that it intersects with the movement for Black Lives. And RJ leaders have always been in line for the movement with Black Lives. That's certainly not something that's new. Um, but then also talking about one really great example is um, the conversations that we're having around the impact of tear gas as a chemical weapon being used against protesters and its links to miscarriage, right? And so that is a, these protests 
the, um, the force and the violence used against protesters by the state, the use of chemical weapons against our communities when they're in protest is also a reproductive justice issue. So the important thing to, to keep in mind about this justice framework is all of the things, right? And that's why the creators of this framework, those 12 Black women, did not want to solely focus on, they knew they could not solely focus on your right to have a child or not have a child, right? The reproductive right, the protection of abortion and contraception. Because your decision to have this baby or not have the baby, to be pregnant or not, is influenced by your ability to be safe in your home community. And so these ties between the movement for Black lives, between those calls to defund the police, the ties between access to reproductive health um, and parenting our children in safe environments have always existed in the reproductive justice framework, always existed in the movement. And so now we get to see very clearly the elevation of those conversations and an understanding that this oppression is the same, the same oppression, right? It all comes from the same place. Yeah. And talking a little bit about the history of it too, I feel like we as physicians, like they don't even touch on this stuff in medical school, where the history of, well, or residency as gynecologists, where the history of all this starts. As a Latina woman, it always stuck with me when I found out that you they essentially tested birth control on Puerto Rican women so that they could figure out if it was safe for white women. Um, but I mean, for the Black community, for example, like it goes even deeper. Was there any one thing that was the most galvanizing for you when you were learning about this or... No, I mean, so I think it's important to understand, though, that although these things are not taught to us in our ivory towers and institution, the um, the verbal history, the remembrance, um, the oral history that's passed down intergenerationally is something that I knew going into to the practice of medicine. I knew about the, the history. Maybe I didn't have the details or the words, but really lots of conversations, certainly in my family, about the distrust of medicine globally. Right. And also the dangers of contraception uh, as a tool for sterilization of black women. And so whether for those of us, whatever our backgrounds are, particularly those of us who come from minoritized backgrounds. Right. Um, in in the United States, know those histories. Right. Um, have heard them in our families, through our aunties, through our cousins, right? And we bring those with us. I agree, though, we are doing a huge disservice to those folks that we are training and then charging with caring for our communities not to explicitly um, have these conversations and to discuss them in a real and honest way. These practices were wrong, right? And to say that clear, these practices were, were grounded in racism and white supremacy, the end period. Right. And beginning from there. And so when you're talking to folks in your exam room as a trainee or later in your profession as an OBGYN like us, and you're wondering why there's a resistance to um, the recommendations you're, you're providing, why folks aren't interested in using contraception, even though they may state that they don't want to be pregnant. A lack of knowledge about that history um, doesn't allow you to bridge that gap and to understand the decision-making process that the other person is coming to. So it's a disservice. It's a disservice to all of us, not just me as a Black woman, not just you as a Latina woman, but everyone who's charged with caring for our communities. When you say like, oh, I heard about this after fellowship specifically, and it really just sort of like, you know, like turned the light bulb on for like, how do I approach healthcare even? What was that like for you, that moment of like, aha, this has existed, the words have existed. Yeah, it changed my whole life, you know? 
I quit my job. I started working um, very intentionally and specifically to do this work this way. Because what was happening for me was that I loved the work that I was doing before I knew that this work had a name, but I felt like it had to be very separate and distinct from my medical practice because it wasn't something um, that was valued in the places where I worked. It wasn't something that was prioritized. There wasn't a line item for doing justice work. It wasn't part of the budget, wasn't part of the strategic plan. When you're in practice, it's not part of your RVUs, right? How are you doing justice work in your practice? And so when I found out there were other people who were working this way, who had dedicated their life to creating this framework, shaping it, right? And then passing it along for folks like me who came behind with an opportunity to do work the way we know our community needs to receive the care. It shook up everything. My world was turned upside down. And so I quit my job and, and thought, well, what is the what is my role here? Definitely still want to be able to take care of people and provide clinical care. But how can I use my position and privilege as a physician, right? to be able to leverage these conversations into spaces other people may not be able to enter, right? Understanding that reproductive justice is designed to shift and shape, shift and shape policy, right? What can I do as a physician to do that work always, always leading with an RJ framework, right? And so for me, it was, it was like a, a light switch. Right. And once you have that, you know, my family has this saying when you, when you, um, when you make an observation, you have an obligation, right? And so once I learned that word at that point, I could not work in a different way. And so that that was it. I had to move, I had to move through the world differently. And really it allowed me to align uh, my moral compass with the way that I did my work, right? And so it was a regrounding in my the values that brought me to medicine in the first place. You've taught me a lot. I mean, just even with like um, self-managed abortion or abortion outside the medical care, you know, facility like that. I remember even that moment of having what was taught to me and being like, this is not safe. This is not safe. And then all of a sudden just really testing, like, well, how do you, why do you really think that way? You know, and, um, looking at that through an RJ lens, how could I be so ignorant, you know? So, um, kind of along those lines, Guttmacher, you know, they came up with some projections about, what is like this COVID pandemic? What's it going to do for um, for people in our field, for women or for pregnant people? We see that they're going to, you know, potentially have so many more unintended pregnancies. And we know that means more maternal deaths, more maternal comorbidities, more neonatal deaths, more unplanned pregnancies. How do you look at all of that through an RJ lens um, specifically? Yeah. So I think the tricky part about data is data and predictions are often uh, controlled in a hierarchical framework, right? And so there's somebody that's doing the counting, there's somebody that's doing the data, right? And a lot of it really, um, the RJ framework forces uh, questions for me in the way that I interpret data, right? And thinking about who, who's asking the question and why, right? And what is the inherent belief that is that question is grounded in? And so if, if we're asking the question, will we have more unintended pregnancies because of fill in the blank, in this case, it's COVID, right? Then embedded in that question is that our belief that unintended pregnancy is in and of itself a bad thing, right? And that unintended means unwanted. So it really forces me to dig deeper into the way that we're asking questions 
what that means, right? Because what we know is that many communities, particularly uh, communities of color, don't necessarily equate unintended with unwanted, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But what they do want, what we do want are the systems and structures to allow us to be healthy during our pregnancy, to deliver healthy children, right? To be able to raise our children in safe environments. Uh, and so the question for me is not so much, will we have more unintended pregnancies because of COVID, but will we really um, gain the will as a community, as a society to support those folks who decide however they got pregnant, during this time that they want to carry this child to term and they want to parent this child, will we be able to support them in the way that they need so that their children can thrive, right? And the other side of that is for those folks who are pregnant and don't want to be, will we be able to support them to get access to the abortions that they need in a timely fashion, right? Not will they be more or less unintended pregnancies, but what is our responsibility to ensure that however this plays out, there is justice in the outcome for everyone. Yeah, it really sounds like reproductive justice is, and then what? And what are you going to do about it? How yeah. are you going to help these people? Absolutely. And, you know, and if you take it one step further, right, you know, understanding that certainly COVID uh, exacerbated existing inequities and in access to care, um, right? And that's for sure. But there have always been folks who have not had access to the contraception that they wanted or needed in the time that they wanted or needed, who've not had access to abortion pre-COVID, right? When they wanted or needed it. And so COVID has really laid bare so many of these inequities, but it didn't create them. And so we have to be very clear about that. They're all, they've always been in existence. And because of the way um, our society is grounded in white supremacy and a capitalistic orientation to reproduction, many of those inequities run along economic and racial lines. Absolutely, yeah. Is there anything else that you wanna say that I haven't asked? I think just one other thing, you brought up self-managed abortion and sort of the shifting in frame. And, and for me, that was a really important shift as well. And it's the way that I think about self-managed abortion is a really good example and how if you approach an issue through this justice lens, it changes the way that you view that entire issue, right? And that's a little bit about what you were talking about when it felt like an aha. Because in the, in in thinking about what it means for folks who, who need or want to access abortion care outside of the traditional medical system, right? Um, and usually that's with um, the same pills we would be giving them in the office, but not always, right? Sometimes folks use other methods that they, they have at home or what they have access to. But understanding that in the end, it's our job as healthcare providers to support patients to get in the community to get what they need when they need it. And we have to decenter ourselves, right? In supporting self-managed abortion and for folks who need or want to access that care, um, the shift in looking at it in a justice framework means I take myself as a healthcare provider out of the center of this. And I put the person who doesn't want to be pregnant in the center of this circle and figure out then how do we build the systems around them? So it was a it was an aha to meet for me as well, right? Because I was thinking about folks that are accessing that care and what their circumstances are and not about how I felt like I had the information, I had the knowledge that I was then uh, pouring into someone else um, and acting truly as a gatekeeper um, uh, and often a barrier to the services that they need.
I'm a bit, I believe that I'm a very good doctor, right? And it seems arrogant or says, sounds crazy to say, but I think that I take good care of people. But I also know there's some people who will never want to or be able to see me. And they also deserve good care in the way that they think that they should have it, right? And if that's seeing me afterwards, if it's seeing me before, if it's seeing me throughout, if it's not seeing me at all, then all of those things get to be okay. And that's a justice framework. Yeah, I've actually even, um, I've been thinking a lot recently about, you know, um, these services where people can like test their own fertility hormones and really start to predict their fertility. And my first gut instinct with all of this too was like, no, this is unnecessary and they need to come see me and blah, blah, blah. And then, so Erica, my um, co-host and I, we were having this conversation about it and I started to talk to her about this. Erica, this is choice. This is, this is reproductive justice. I mean, it's the same kind of lens where I can't be the gatekeeper for these hormones, right? Like if this service exists where this person wants to try to look into the current state of her hormones for whatever reason, as long as she's doing it in a way that doesn't give her false hope about fertility, right? But if she's trying to educate herself with what tools she has, that's all part of it. Like, why am I gatekeeping that? So I'm trying to apply it to everything. We have to. We have to apply it to everything. And I think that that's a, that's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to be able to say, you get to have control over your body. We can't say that the choice is just your choice if you choose me to be involved in it, right? The choice is your choice because it is your body. And if we believe that, then it's our obligation to live those values and support it in a way um, that the person wants and needs, not just in the way that we think. And and just to be clear, the last thing I'll say about it is that there are, there are ways, to your point, that people um, that people uh, access medical care outside of the medical system all the time, right? Self-managed abortion is a small piece of that, but there are folks who access care throughout their lives. And many, in many communities, including um, the community I grew up in, um, as a physician even practicing, there are things that I see my doctor for and there are things that I care for in my own community. So we're all holding those things. Um, and it's not for me or for you or any other physician to place value on that. It's just to provide the support that folks um, may want. And I think that's the way we do our job grounded in justice. Of course, to make sure that everybody has equal access. So it's not justice that you're doing this because there's systems and structures that don't allow you to access the care that you want, right? That's a different framework, right? That's a different thing. We can't we can't say that that's justice, but your decision to care for yourself in the way that's best for you um, should be supported. Yeah. Uh, so well said. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. If you've liked this episode of The V Word, please visit us at www.vwordpod.com and listen, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at vwordpod. This podcast was written and produced by the V Word team, Dr. Jennifer Conti, Dr. Erica Cahill, and Bethany Bonilla. Thanks for listening.